We often have to repeat ourselves. Uh, it might be at work or with your kids or whatever the situation. And uh, we do so because we want oftentimes the, sp- the instructions to be clear. Right? So, so it's like, no, 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 one cup of that and two cups of that. No, don't, don't get them backwards. And we want to make sure that at, at, through each step of things that, that something is clearly Understood. Sometimes you might go back through, and, and as we're going to see, we're going. You give more details. Like, okay, this is what we're going to do, but but we're going to repeat some things, and, and I'm going to add some more information as we go through it. And that's what Daniel, what, what we're going through in Daniel. Uh, so we're going to be in uh, chapter uh, eight, uh, Daniel chapter eight today. And we've we've gone through this, and it kind of like, why does he keep on? And we we said last week that that Daniel goes through, and and uh, we had we began with a very basic thing in Daniel chapter two, this prophecy that he gave, and it was very basic. And we repeated part of it, but he added some more details. Now he's going to take a part of that one, and he's going to go yet into it more specifically, and he's going to keep on doing this as we go through uh, Daniel here. Uh, so. Um, Daniel chapter 10 will, will, will be about this and about one specific thing in this. But we're going to start in Daniel chapter 8. We're not going to read the whole thing right immediately. Uh, but we're going to start and read verses 1 through 17. It says, In the third year of King Belshazzar, so we're, we're now two years later, this vision, we kind of think of when we read Daniel that he just, got, he just kind of sat down one week and God says, uh, Here we go. Here's the rest of the visions. Write the rest of the book. But, but uh, he got the... the, the uh, the first year, was chapter 7 was in the first year of Belshazzar, right? So, so God waits for two years, and then he gets this other vision. So God spaced them out a little bit. And so is that the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, in which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. And I lifted up my eyes, and I saw there, standing beside the river, it was a ram. It had two horns, and the two horns were high, and one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last, and I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor there was any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will, and he became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth, touching the ground, and the whole goat and the goat had a notable horn between its eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing next to the river. And I ran at, it ran at him with furious power, and I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, and he attacked the ram. He broke his horns. And there was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. There was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. So therefore the male goat grew, no, one more time. The male goat grew very great. Uh, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of the four notable ones came up towards the four winds of the heaven, and uh, one of them, from one of them came a little horn. It grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land, and it grew up to the most, the host of heavens that it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground, and it trampled them. And he even exalted himself as the high of the prince of hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgressions, an army was given to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices and in truth, and he cast truth down to the ground. And he did all this, and he prospered. And I heard a holy one speaking 
And another holy one said to that one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgressions of desolation and the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, and then the sanctuary will be cleansed. And it happened that I, Daniel, had seen the vision, was seeking the meaning, and suddenly there stood in front of me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came to me where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. And he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Hmm. A lot of interesting things in here. And, um, well, we're going to try to go through all these details here in a second. I'm going to read the rest of it shortly, but I, I want to set up the idea that uh, I believe that this is just so, so far what we've read, we come to an interesting phrase, and I stopped where I stopped for a reason, the time of the end, because we talked about last week, and it seemed like the throne was being set up, and, and it was talking about the return of Christ. Well, certainly this is even more specific than that. We saw that that was not true uh, as we went through the text. Well, certainly this is the time of the end. Well, it doesn't really tell us what end of what, um, but... Many people assume that this is then talking about the end of the world and heaven. We're going to see that that's clearly, again, not the case. It's the end of this particular period. There's lots of ends. Um, there's this, this uh, desolation of the temple. There's actually lots of desolations, too. There was one that he was still in the middle of. It had to do with, with uh, Babylon. And then there's going to be another one. And then there's going to be another one uh, in, in, uh, in the time of Christ. And then there's going to be, even Revelation will refer to one after that, a, a spiritual one in reference to the church. So, so there's all these interesting things happening, but we're going to see that this is actually talking about something happening uh, beginning in Daniel's life. This is going to be talking about Persia and Greece. Now, I'm not just making that up. Let's continue on, just so you understand that I'm not making this up. Because uh, at first, as soon as we read, as soon as I say that, you're like, this seems to be talking about the end. This, why would he go back and talk about the same things he's talking about? No, I'm not sure. Uh, but we'll get some lessons out of it anyway. So let's pick it up in verse 18. He says, now as he was speaking to me, remember, this is Gabriel. We've seen Gabriel before uh, in the scriptures. So Gabriel's now going to explain this to him. He says, now as he was speaking to me, with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face on the ground, and he touched me, and he stood to me and uh, Stood me upright. He said, "Look, I'm making known to you what's going to happen in the latter times of the indignation. For the appointed time, the end will be. The ram which you saw having two horns are the kings of Media Persia." He said, "I'm not making it up. Um, just Gabriel came right out. Maybe Daniel was as as, as uh, hard-headed as me, and we we try to figure things out. And he's like, Daniel's never going to get this. So Gabriel just said, "Listen, that's Media and Persia, right?" The male goat is Greece. No interpretation necessary. We don't have to get creative with it. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Um, and as for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, the four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. So in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall rise having fierce features who understand sinister schemes. His power will be mighty. But not by his own power, he will destroy fearfully and prosper and thrive. And he will destroy the mighty and also holy people. And through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself 
in his heart, and he shall destroy many in, in their prosperity. He will even rise against the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human means. And in the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted, and I was sick for days. And afterwards I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So we're going to go back and establish the basic vision here. So we've, we've seen then, it's Medo-Persia in Greece, and it's, it's something going on in that time period. And, and if we look at it, the symbols, just like we saw last week, kind of correspond to something previous. Uh, remember that, that bear that stood up on one side, and it was, we, we talked about one power that became more powerful than the other. Um, and, and this one does the same thing. There's this picture of this ram, and he has two horns, but one one is a much bigger horn, and it's the, the horn that emerges uh, second that becomes stronger. Well, that, this is the picture of Media and Persia, two joint powers, but Persia became stronger. Now, I do want to correct the record. Uh, last week I said that the uh, the king of Persia was Cyrus's father-in-law, and that is not true. I was close, but not true. I was working from memory. I told you that's kind of faulty sometimes. Um, so Cyrus was born to the, da- to, uh, the daughter of that king. So he was not the, the father-in-law. He was kind of, his, his father, Cyrus' father, was the son-in-law of the king of Persia. So he was kind of the grandson. And, and so it's, it's kind of, I was close, but one generation removed to where the power shifted from Media to Persia. Just want to correct that. Uh, so he conquers in three directions. And here it gives the three directions, right? Uh, we talked about the three ribs in the bear's mouth. And here he says he's going to conquer in three directions. Uh, Babylon, which we said, that's to the north, Egypt to the south, and Turkey to the west. Then comes this goat. Now, there's some pictures here, and you're like, this is kind of confusing, because we talked a lot about this horn. This is not the same horn. Remember, that was a horn that boasted great things. It had eyes and, and, and mouth. This is not the same horn. This is not on uh, that last. That was on the last of the four beasts. This is not. This is on the one that comes right after Medo-Persia. This is Greece. Now, the, that middle horn is, uh, is Alexander the Great. It's right in the middle of the head, and he tramples over that goat, over that ram, and he breaks him into pieces. This is Alexander the, and he says, and now uh, after that come up four horns. Well, we saw that. That's four generals, right? Um, and then out of the middle of that comes one horn. So in other words, up, up from one of those powers comes one little horn, and he's like, this is a king that's going to be later, and this is where. The, the most of this vision takes place, this, this awful stuff that's going to be happening. So we kind of have the basic vision. So we want to go through, and there's this period of incredible distress. It, it, it's so distressing that Daniel gets violently, physically sick. I, I've never written a sermon and, and, and read a text that I was like, I'm going to have to call in. Uh, this Sunday, this this sermon was so awful. I'm I'm just not going to be able. To, I'm I'm going to be sick for a few days, and maybe some people have you know heard a sermon that I preached and thought that. But but no, uh, th- this is an amazing thing that that he is hearing, and he's this is awful. Well, let's talk about this period of distress, and he says it's about to the time of the end. Someone's car. I'm not sure if it's here or down there. 
There we go. You got it. And maybe it's someone, someone over in the development there. So we come to a guy by the name of Antiochus IV. He's called Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. By the way, the name Epiphanes was a nickname given to him by his by people who knew him. It means the mad one. So his own friends really didn't like him. He was crazy. Um, he was volatile. He just acted in, in completely random ways. Verse 24 says that he was mighty, but not by his own power. See, he, he, he wasn't like Alexander the Great or even the four generals that preceded him. But his power came mostly from making alliances and doing political things, and then he would backstab people once he had established you know, some, some type of presence or gotten kind of what he wanted. Then he would kind of uh, he'd go back on whatever agreements. He did things by alliances. I want to look at his primary offense in here. It's called the desolation in verse 13. Uh, so so de- desolation, I heard the Holy One speaking and another one, Holy One saying that, uh, how long will this be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgressions and the desolation? And so, so desolations had to do with emptiness. That's what it means. It's desolate. And it had to do with the temple and sacrifices. And that's what this vision is concerning. Uh, that the, the Hebrew temple was going to not be able to do the sacrifices and, and, and it was going to be defiled. Further than that, and this, we find this in Antiochus Epiphanes. And this happens during this time period. Uh, we're in, uh, in the 100s uh, before Christ, about 170 years or so before Christ. So, uh, so, as I said, there are several desolations, and we're looking at just one of them. Uh, a lot of the history that, that is valuable is actually... Uh, it, there are books of the Bible, uh, and some, some Bibles have a, a, a section called uh, the Maccabees. And the Maccabees, while they're not inspired scripture, are incredible history. Uh, and it's primarily concerning this period of time where the Jews are rebelling against Greece. Uh, and so, let's begin with the end of this, and we're going to work our way backwards. The end of this period it has to do with the, when the, the temple is going to be restored and the sacrifices are going to resume. And that happens. In fact, we have the date that this happens on. It's December 25th, 165. Well, what holiday do we connect with December 25th? No, Hanukkah. Jews don't celebrate Christmas. They celebrate Hanukkah. Right? This is the event for which the festival of lights, because they are able to light the menorah in the temple again. Uh, and so, so that, that's, this is the period of time. What, what Daniel is talking about is, is what Hanukkah is based on, and he's prophesying this. Um, now, we should know that Antiochus was not always against the Jews, but there were, uh, there were things that happened. We should understand how we get to this point. And so now we want to back up. Um, there was a guy by the name, uh, a Jew by the name of Milanus. He was the brother of the guy who was supposed to be high priest and was high priest. But um, when Antiochus comes to power, he does th- things through alliances. That's the way he works. And so he does things through bribes. 
And so Ananias wanted to be the high priest, but he wasn't in line for it. So he bribed uh, Antiochus to give him this, because Greece is ruling the world. Um, so he kind of gave him an IOU. I'll pay you. Okay. So Onias uh, becomes the high priest, and Milanus is forced from it and has to go into exile. Uh, and, uh, but he didn't pay him right away. Uh, so Antiochus wanted his money. And, and so what happened was Milanus didn't have the money, and so he started taking things out of the temple. All those things that had gone into Babylon and, and come back, and all those utensils and things, not the really important ones, not the altar and stuff, but just selling enough stuff that's important to the temple to pay. Of course, um, Milanus' brother, um, Onias, he, he says, uh, you know, this is not right what you're doing. And so um, he has him killed by a guy by the name of Andronicus, who was a general, which starts the up the uprising. Now, after this, Milanus will continue to sell off more stuff, and that adds to this defiling of the temple when this starts. Uh, this is, by the way, this is all going on in, in somewhere in 171. BC that will become rather important. And it begins the Maccabean revolt. And uh, at first, Antiochus comes and tries to put down the revolt, not in violence, but by killing the general who did this, but who killed the rightful high priest. That doesn't stop anything, especially once they, uh, once Milana starts to continue to, to sell all this stuff from the temple. Well, he was waging war against, uh, or Antiochus was waging war against Egypt. He was not having success. We talked about the one powerful group among Greece was the Ptolemies. They were the ones in Egypt. This is the one from whom Cleopatra, in fact, Cleopatra is involved in some of the things happening right now. Uh, and uh, this Antiochus, he's going to be the last significant ruler. Greece in 20 years will be supplanted by Rome as Cleopatra forms an alliance with Rome and overthrows Greece. Um, but he's being frustrated by failures militarily. So in 168 BC, he kind of returns and vents his frustration on Jerusalem. He attacks the temple, he burns it, uh, he burns the city, he kills thousands of people, he takes thousands of slaves of the, the Jews, and as he's leaving, he sacrifices pig blood on the altar and puts a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. This is that desolation. This is, this is that time where it talks about in chapter 80, he's... he's uh, trampling, and he's even speaking to the, the prince of princes. He's so high, he's casting down people, he's killing people arbitrarily. That's, a, that's pictured in this, uh, when, when uh, the Bible pictures killing noblemen and, and 
government officials that always does it with this idea of casting down stars. That's the the or moons, even suns, the important people dying. That's that's that symbolic picture. And we come to this 2,300 days. Now, before we get to that, he says he's going to be cut off without hands. And that's important. Because the Maccabean revolt itself had some various successes. Uh, They liberated the temple in 165. But uh, he was over in Afghanistan at the time a place called Herat, Afghanistan. And he was trying to put down a rebellion over there. The, the Jews were rebelling over here, so he had his general, Lysias, trying to put that down. And it was only a matter of time till the Maccabees were going to lose. They, they didn't have Greece's military power. Even if Greece wasn't the same military power it had been, it certainly wasn't uh, anything that was going to long-term be limited by the Jews. But he was not having success himself in Afghanistan. And so, so he had to retreat. During his retreat, he had a gastric, something happened, appendicitis, who knows. But it's reported as a severe stomach. It actually is the picture, if you want to describe it, the, the historical description is almost identical to the, the picture that is presented in the book of Acts when it talks about Herod. Who, who stood up and, and accepted all the praise and, and he was immediately struck down by God and eaten by worms. There's actually history that describes the same thing. Uh, he, um, in this whatever event, this medical event, he falls out of his chariot and he's completely mangled. He's not dead, but he's extremely mangled. Infection sets in and, and the, the description of what happens to him is horrible. Nothing anybody did. He just, God did it. No one pictured it. And that was it. Greece became almost nothing, almost immediately. And it was just 20 years until they were subjected to Rome. I want to get to this 2300 days. Now, this is difficult because different people interpret this different ways. Um, as we will see even in the next chapter, that, that there are some times where, where a day equals a year. And, and Daniel works from that. And so some people, well, 2,300 years, well, that would have brought us up to 1966. And so far as I can tell, nothing significant concerning the temple happened in 1966. So um, they don't still even have a temple. That's the Dome of the Rock Mosque. Uh, that's a Muslim site. Now, if, if in 1966 uh, they had gotten the temple back, I would say, well, there might be something there, there, but that doesn't that doesn't seem to fit. So we're looking at another. I mean, if we're going to say that Bible prophecies come true, then Bible prophecies have to come true. But this is interesting because this is not 2,300 days exactly in the sense the word. He says there are uh, 2,300. Some I don't know if some versions might say that. But he says, literally, 2,300 evenings and mornings is the literal language here. When, when the Bible wants to be clear, it's talking about a day. It says evenings and mornings. Now, that's, that's significant because of what's happening. What is the evening and morning significant to the Jew? Why is that significant to, to phrase that? Well, the Jew 
understood the reference to evenings and mornings as important. Now, again, why, why not say morning and evening? Because that's kind of how I'm used to it. Our day begins kind of when we get up. That's kind of the way we think of our day, but that's not when the Jews interpreted their day. Their day started at 6 at night. And it was on the heels of the evening sacrifice. So we're all connected to the temple here. Their day began in the evening with the evening sacrifice. And the next morning, they had a morning sacrifice in the temple. And so he says this, 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 this cycle of 2,300 sacrifices. It was 2,300 literal days, in other words. This is not a, a prophetic number. He's saying, you've got 2,300 days before, from, from whatever time this is going to start to whatever time. Now, we have the end of that because we know the end because the Maccabees were nice enough to record that history. We don't know exactly when it begins, so, so we do have kind of an idea. If, if we knew history, if they had recorded history, I think we would probably find that on August 5th, 371, or excuse me, 171, uh, that uh, we would have had this period where, no, I'm either a typo here. No, that's right, one seven, yeah, 371 would be a little early. Uh, 171 would be 2,300 days earlier. Well, we talked about what started to happen in 171 when, when the temple started to be desecrated by Milanus. This is all wonderful history. But what is it all about? I want to leave the prophecy. I got a call from a pollster this week. I've, I've, never, I've always wanted to. Uh, they never seemed to call me. Uh, it was a kind of a long call. Uh, one of the first questions he asked me was, did I agree with the direction that the country is going? I thought about that question for a second. I was like, you know, I think there's only one question. This is a very bad question in your survey. Because I think the only thing that anyone in this country agrees on, from what I can tell, is that the thing is going in the wrong direction. I mean, everybody thinks that. Do you think of anybody uh, that you've seen that thinks, you know, the country's just running great? I don't care what you believe. I don't care what your background is. Everybody thinks the, the wrong people are doing the wrong thing. Like, that is not a very clear question. If you're looking to try to interpret something, what's going to happen? You got the wrong question. That's not going to help you. For the first time in our country, we have 100% unity on a subject. The chapter ends with Daniel so bothered by this vision, he's sick. And we don't have that. I don't think we're there there. Just, we're not to that point. He's so overwhelmed, I think. God sends the angel of good news. 
angel of good news. Think about who Gabriel is. He's the angel of good news. Gabriel's the one, uh, he's going to come a little bit later and give him some different news. But Gabriel is the one that, that comes to this little town and this family and says, uh, by the way, I've got some news about a son. I know you're in the middle of, of this this empire thing that's Rome and, and everything's not so pleasant, but I've got some good news. This is Gabriel. Gabriel is dispatched, I guess, when there's really bad times and people need good news. So he's going to tell Daniel, listen, it looks really bad. God is going to step in and he'll take Antiochus out of the way himself. It'll be something he does. You won't see it coming. The world will look like it's about to just fall to pieces. And God will step in and go, hey, that's kind of last year's, last week's sermon. But he goes one step further than the last chapter. He says, here's a countdown. I used to do that at the beginning of school every year. I'd get my ruler out, I'd draw a calendar, and uh, I would cross off every day of school until the end because I hated school so bad. You know, those uh, you're in the middle of it, and it's like, oh, that's still so long to go. Then pretty soon it's like, we're getting there, we're getting there. I don't know what it was like to have a 2,300-day countdown. It's a little over six years. It's uh, six years and a couple of months. I know it's so bad, Daniel, I'm giving you a countdown. And you're not going to see it coming. Listen, the day before, the day before that countdown was over, they didn't see it coming. God says, I will do it. And I'll do it on the day I'm going to do it. I would like a countdown. I would like God to say, listen, uh, here's the countdown where everything is going to look normal and wonderful. So I think that probably we're not in as dire straits as Daniel was because he hasn't given us one. But there's a thought here. An important thing of a countdown is it's just one day at a time, and you can't speed up those countdowns. That's what they are. And I think there's an idea that is good for us to know that, you know, there's times where things seem to smooth sail, and we can see and kind of plan things out long time in advance. And then there's times where, whether it be a broad thing or maybe in your own life, maybe just something individual that's going on, you can see one step in front of the other. And God says, that's good enough. You're going to have to look one day at a time. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, wherever you're at right now, you're just going to have to make it to tonight. That's your task. You don't need to worry about 2,300 days in the future. You just need to worry about today. Get to today. There's, there's some times where you're going to feel the bad news. And, and pretty much all you're going to have to work with is, uh, well, the sky's blue and the grass is green. And I just need to make it to the end of today. 
because I'm connected to God. And that's all. And then there's days where the grass isn't green and the sky's not blue. But now, well, you're just going to have to work with, I've got God and that's it. And it's one day. But understand in those moments that your rescue will come from God and not from anybody else. In the meantime, all of those sources that we've looked to to be our rescue are really not going to be what rescues us. We, we look to so many things to fix the problems that we see around us. And the world is coming up, with, and you've heard it too, uh, we, we, the world is coming up with all kinds of solutions to fix what they see as problems. And they are not going to work. Those solutions are not going to work. God says, I will step in. And, and, and the things that I have are the things that fix problems. And the moment that we finally accept that we cannot do it is where the, the moment where God says, I'm going to step in because I can. But I can't as long as you're trying to do the thing. The Maccabees didn't end the problem. Most of them died. Most of them failed. That wasn't going to happen. God says, he's going to be broken off without human hands. Time and time again in our scriptures, God says, listen, uh, too many men. I need 300. But there's 10,000 of them. Yeah, precisely. Too many times people think that they have to do this through their own ability. And God says, no. You're going to have to do this my way. You're going to have to trust my way. It doesn't look like the right way, but it's going to be the way that works. We have to give up the way the world wants to fix everything. It's not going to work. It is only going to work when we take this to people. This is the good news that people need. They don't need political solutions. They don't need economic solutions. I'm not saying that those are bad. I'm saying that is not going to fix things. That is not going to... Heal hearts. This is the only thing that has healed hearts. And it's done so for 2,000 years. It's got a proven track record. While countries have come and gone, while, while different systems have come and gone, this is the thing that survived them all. This is the good news.